Hi, my name is Angelo, and this is the Queer Talks podcast, where we talk with different professionals and subject matter experts on what they do, how they got there, and the unique perspective on the market that we're in. Queer Talks is the perfect podcast for anyone wanting to learn more about the corporate space. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for joining us today. How are you going? I'm well, thanks. Um, thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. And just a kind of introduction, it'd be great for our listeners to kind of just have a quick introduction to who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Greg and I'm an in-house lawyer at one of the big four banks. Um, and I've just started a new role in the institutional team in the bank. Um, so helping sort of larger um, clients, I guess, with the bank, with their various uh, transactional requirements. Awesome, awesome. Sounds like good fun. And before we jump into the juicy questions, I asked my guests a few introduction questions, just kind of get us, uh, let us know a, a bit more about you. So the first question I have here is, if you could live anywhere else other than Melbourne, where would you live? Hmm, that's a good one. I guess um, I'd probably choose uh, Vietnam. Um, my wife grew up in Vietnam, so, um, you know, she would um, be very annoyed at me if I picked anywhere but Vietnam. But, you know, like it's, you know, it's a beautiful country and, you know, enjoy the food and the culture and you know, it's a very vibrant, growing economy as well. Um, so that would be my that would be my first choice and, you know, it's sort of my second home after Australia already, so be an easy decision awesome that's great i've had kind of my my answers i've received a very uh economy based what's, your, what's your answer angelo what would be oh, your answer <laughs> oh i wouldn't mind i think your answer vietnam is a great answer I'd, mm. i feel like at, as a kind of a bright-eyed uh student at this current time i wouldn't mind like a, a new york switch if uh oh, it's yeah. on the table okay. um but i wouldn't mind vietnam either they have great food and mm. i think they, mm. uh, they do have a booming economy be great place to kind of eat and work <laughs> at the same time yeah yeah absolutely you know any, yeah. do you know any vietnamese phrases uh enough to get myself uh into yeah. trouble i suppose yeah <laughs> enough yeah. to order a bowl of pho after work if yeah. you were to move there that's right lovely <laughs> awesome yeah, yeah. And, and the same question we have here is when you were younger did, what did you want to be um was it where you are now or personally i wanted to be an astronaut what would your answer be yeah um, that's a, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure I really had any sort of burning desire to be anything, really. Um, never wanted to be an astronaut, you know, never wanted to, you know, be a policeman or, you know, the sort of the cliched sort of things. Um, I don't know, really. I, I, I don't think when I was little, I really thought about the future. I was just, you know, happy day by day, riding around on my mountain bike and, you know, <laughs> playing my PlayStation 1, you know, back right. then. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Right. How about, how about, let me rephrase it for you. I'm, I would love to be a doctor, but I don't yeah. like the kind of the gruesome side of things. So if, if I was kind of more stone, stone cold and um, about that, I prob- probably would make that switch. Would you, where you, would you eye any kind of other exciting roles? Are you happy where you are at now? Uh- May, setting aside talent, um, 
uh, yeah, I think, you know, I would have liked to become a landscape architect if I could do that now, you know, if I had some other way to pay the bills and I had the ability. I think something something creative like that would be fun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can get you get the same sort of satisfaction, you know, indirectly in law. You know, you're still yeah. creating something. You're creating, you know, it's a contract, but, you know, it's, can, you know, it's still an item that, you know, does things for people and helps them. Um, I guess it's a little more indirect, but, yeah, probably landscape architect would be fun. Awesome, awesome. I feel like you're out of this mold, out of uh, all the other guests. First you said Vietnam and now landscape architect. Yeah. Definitely the most <laughs> peculiar ones we've gone so far. Oh, wow. Um, but, yeah, that's yeah. Good, good fun. And uh, the last question I have here for you is – during very busy periods, say it's 8 p.m. and, you know, you're pushing the midnight oil for the day and you got a large matter, a large kind of brief question on foot for you, what music do you put on to get you hyped up or kind of just get you motivated while you're knee-deep into work? Um, I actually don't listen to any music when I work. I like silence. <laughs> so I um, otherwise I find myself getting distracted um, if I have anything. So if I have my headphones in, I just put some white noise or something on Spotify. Yeah. Um, so I would be doing that really. Yeah. Right. Like um, rain sounds or, or waves. Yeah. Or rain like sounds or yeah. Yeah. Or just random classical music or, you know, just anything yeah. to drown out the background noise really. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that before that classical music uh, really facilitates like mm. intelligent thoughts. If there's a nice way to put it, it's very okay. productive. Well, yeah, I probably yeah. should start to listening to it. Yeah. A bit more <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome awesome well we might take a another step back here i'm sure the listeners know a thing or two about you now it, it may be good to let us know how you got started and what your journey was like uh, throughout law school and how you ultimately ended up at one of the big four banks sure so um i mean i've had a probably a bit of an unusual journey to in-house practice um, and maybe a bit longer than most people. I um, graduated my with my undergrad degrees um, in business and economics. I have two bachelor degrees um, in 2008. Um, and then I went to work. I got a graduate role at, um, at Holden, the car manufacturer in the finance department. So I started there in around beginning of 2009 and after about a year of doing that um you know sort of entering data into spreadsheets and then moving that data into the accounting system I was getting a bit bored of um of that and I could see that you know the decision makers in the finance department you know were doing more interesting and engaging work than just plugging in information and then, uh, you know, rearranging it and then putting it into another system, basically. So I was trying to figure out what can I do to kind of get out of that, what I'm doing now, and get into something in finance where I can make more decisions and, you know, think about things more strategically. And my plan to try and get to that point um, involved doing some postgraduate study to try and differentiate myself uh, from, you know, the, the other people around me, my sort of, you know, my contemporaries, I suppose. Uh, so I applied for a few different places um, to do an, an MBA um, 
And, you know, I was kind of not, I was not crazy about the idea, you know, when it sort of getting, you know, was getting closer to the time to start actually studying because it just felt more of the same at what, of what I'd really already done. Then one day, kind of just randomly, the idea hit me, well, what about something else? What about a, a postgraduate law degree? This, the um, CFO at Holden, of Holden at the time um, had studied law. Mm-hmm. So that sort of made me think, well, maybe this is a way, you know, to do something a bit different, but also, you know, sort of get a qualification that will get me ahead in my finance career. So I studied, I applied for a couple of uh, law schools mm-hmm. and, and I got into both, um, but I ended up choosing RMIT um, purely because they ran their classes at night. So starting mm-hmm. at six o'clock, I think it was, and then you'll go for a couple of hours. So that way that let me sort of continue to work full time while I studied. About, I'd say, a year, maybe a year and a half, into my um, studies, um, I realised that actually, you know, I enjoy this a lot more than my day job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was about the time that we did our first, I can't remember the subject, it might have been evidence, uh, I, I'm not sure now, or civil procedure, one or the other, mm-hmm. um, when we did our first moots. And I really enjoyed that, um, which was unusual because I hate public speaking. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, you know what? why not just change careers completely? You know, I'm kind of doing something now that, yeah, it's paying the bills while I'm studying and stuff, but, you know, I'm not in love with it. So why not change? So I did the usual thing then um, of, you know, applying for the clerkships, um, got a couple of clerkships um, and, yeah, unfortunately they, they didn't lead to graduate roles for me. Um, so yeah, I was pretty devastated by that because, um, as you would know, Angelo, mm-hmm. you put a lot of work into those applications, yeah. and the, yep. you know the whole thing is just pressure from the time you submit the application to, yep. you know, when you walk through the door for your first internship. So you know, I was pretty devastated um, yep. not to get anything, but anyway, um, pressed on um, and ended up doing the Leo Cousin route into law. So um, you know that in, involves the graduate diploma of law practice um, plus a little bit of uh, work experience, which I managed to do at Holden in the um, in-house legal team. Then came the tricky bit of actually changing careers without having a grad position secured. So what I did was I looked around um, various law firms that I liked and practice areas that I was interested in, and I just emailed the partners and said, you know, this is what I've been doing. Um, here is my, you know, here's my sort of academic transcript and a sort of a short CV and said, you know, if you've got any, if you ever got anything that, you know, might fit, um, you know, someone with my experience, um, send me an email. And lo and behold, it worked. Um, a law firm in uh, Newcastle, uh, where I grew up, uh, they, had a, they had a vacancy um, it was a small, small, small office of a Sydney firm, um, mm-hmm. but it, the small Newcastle office. Um, they had someone going on maternity leave for twelve months, um, and they were going to shuffle the work around and then give me a fixed term contract for twelve months. So, you know, really, honestly, really, just doing me a favour, right? Almost. 
um, you know, they got someone to do some of the easier sort of work um, and, you know, it's cheaper to hire, you know, someone with no legal experience compared to a senior associate. So it sort of was beneficial for both of us. But I yep. think in hindsight, more of a favour for me than anything really. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, and then that, so, that, you know, that let me, you know, get a bit of experience, um, which then in turn um, led me to uh, an offer at another a firm back down here in Melbourne uh, awesome. in the banking and finance practice. And I was uh, basically there except for a little sort of time off when I went and tried something else um, there for around three years. Um, and, and then, yeah, after about sort of three years-ish, I was sort of, you know, starting to get itchy feet, um, getting a bit sort of tired of private practice life. Um and looking for an in-house role and, um, yeah, managed to, to secure where I am today, where I've basically been for about the last three years. Awesome, awesome. It's great to hear that you had so much resilience and I guess that trailblazing attitude throughout your whole career. And I'm sure it must have been yeah. very tough to I mean, balance. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's difficult. I, I think, you know, law is a very competitive profession Mm. and it seems to be getting more and more competitive in the early stages purely because there's so many people who are getting law degrees um and you know the number of graduates you know really outweighs the kind of good quality roles that are out there and it just seems like um you know as you know I, i sort of i'm involved in the internship program at the bank and um the quality of people that you see applying is really phenomenal it's just yeah so it's just resilience is really necessary if you you know you really want to sort of crack into the legal profession um just because there's just so many smart you know young people out there um that you're competing against yeah yeah and it, i guess especially when you're an old person like me yeah <laughs> it's i would say it's still a testament to your ability that you were able to to manage one of a full-time finance-based uh, role and as well uh, a postgraduate degree and the hunger games of what is the clerkship season. And then also turning those kind of lessons into just putting yourself out there, um, which opened the, your, I guess, your predominant private practice role before you transitioned to the bank, which is, I guess, well, great to, to see in, in motion as opposed to a direct kind of easier uh, route. Um, but yeah, yeah but I mean, I don't think that there's like, that's not to kind of, you know, put down anyone who, you know, finishes mm. high school, goes straight to uni, gets a grad job, gets a clerkship, gets a, you know, a, a grad role, you know, in, in one of the top tier firms. I mean, that mm-hmm. takes serious commitment mm-hmm. and, you know, skill to do that in itself. Um, just different. There's just different routes, I suppose, to the, mm-hmm. the end point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it's still crazy to see. It's great to see that you still managed to uh, wiggle your way into the legal profession after um, moving around and have those different uh, changes in throughout your career. And I guess the next question I wanted to ask is if you could kind of uh, divulge into what your day in the life looks like uh, in mm. in house. Okay. Um, well, I've actually just started in the last week a new mm-hmm. a new in house role at the bank. Um, so my sort of day in the life is it's a little bit different and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I might sort of tell you sort of a bit more sort of in general terms if that's sure. okay, what it sort yeah, of yeah, what it might look like. Um, and I mean, I guess it's a bit cliched, but there isn't. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is there isn't a typical day in the life. It's a bit different all the time, depending on you know what's going on around you. Um, but yeah, you know, a typical like sort of types of works you could be juggling at any one time is you know a sort of you might be negotiating in some sort of an agreement or a contract um, for your client, which is the bank. Um, you might also at the same time be giving some advice on a piece of ASIC regulatory guidance to another area of the bank um, while at the same time helping the marketing team with a, you know, an advertising initiative that they're working on. So you're kind of juggling all different sort of subject matters um, and areas and clients um, simultaneously, I guess. You know, it's cliche to say, but there isn't really a typical day. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, every day is not the same. I mean, you've probably heard that from everyone that you've you've spoken to. Um, but you know, you could you could, for example, start the day with a meeting um, with a client who's talking you through their new advertising strategy, and you know, you're pointing out sort of potential sort of issues or things that they should look out for. Um, and helping to guide them to, you know, get to an endpoint that presents, you know, sort of little to no legal risk. Um, and at the same time, or, you know, say, okay, after that meeting, maybe you're spending a few hours drafting a contract um, for, you know, the bank who's entering into an agreement for something or other to, you know, develop or provide some technology. Um, and then, you know, in the afternoon, maybe you're, um, helping the helping, say the another area of the bank um, who are uh, setting up a new framework to respond to some you know ASIC regulatory guidance, um, and you know in between that you're kind of picking up the phone or answering emails from people who are having you know have short sort of ad hoc you know legal questions that they need help with throughout the day. Um, so there's a bit of jumping around um, in a typical day. Um, other days, maybe you're you're working on a large matter and you're just focused on one task for the entire day, and you know you don't stand up for the whole day. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, it sounds it sounds very varied. And I guess moving on to my next question, to ensure that you produce high quality work, how do you ensure that you're up to date with kind of different developments in different areas of the law and maybe non legal mm-hmm. areas that may affect the bank? As you know, there's a lot of developments with potential interest rate changes and developments in fintech and stuff like that. How do you ensure that uh, you're on top of all those changes to ensure that you're providing the, the most competent advice internally? Um, well, there's a few, th- there's a few different things. Um, so firstly, you know, if you, when you're working in a large organization, such as one of the big four banks, like I am, um, there's always programs for the legal team. Um, briefings to kind of keep everyone abreast of what's happening. Um, But I don't think that that's really enough, Um, you know, is, you know, sort of being sort of a professional, you sort of, it's the onus is on you to keep up to date with things as well. Um, You know, so you have to sort of use your own initiative. So I I subscribe to, um, you know, a number of sort of daily emails um, and you receive, you know, you, you sort of pick 
the topics that you're interested in. And then each day, this is, this thing is called um, Lexology um, is one of them. And that'll send you an email each day with, you know, sort of published articles, you know, in the, in the areas that you're interested that have been, you know, released in the, over the last 24 hours. So, you know, every day I'll have a look at that and, you know, just sort of keep abreast of sort of topics that I'm interested in or, you know, are relevant to the clients within the bank that I'm, I'm um, working for or advising. The other thing that you need to do is, you know, just look at the news, you know, mm. often, you know, is you sort of have to kind of lift your head up from the, you know, the legal sort of textbooks and just sort of see what's happening, you know, sort of in the world around us um, because, you know, as we've seen from the last two years, um, you know, the pandemic, you know, that's had sort of a lot of change that's caused changes to everywhere. So it's, you know, it's interesting to kind of see what's happening in the world and then think about, you know, how, how, how that's going to impact the bank and how that's going to impact, you know, sort of the advice that you're being going to be asked about. Um, I think the interesting thing about working in-house is you have to be a, a, a generalist, I suppose. Um, so I think to be successful and skilled, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, a deep expert in one area um, at the sort of, you know, the detriment of every other sort of thing you could potentially learn. So I think it's important that you kind of know a little bit about everything mm-hmm. so that you can pick up, you know, when there's potentially an issue and then mm-hmm. you can sort of triage that to the correct right. expert, whether it's within the bank or, you know, within a law firm. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, to kind of become a generalist, it's, you know, at face value, it might seem easy because you don't have to, you know, focus on one topic. You don't have to know, I don't know, the the, the Personal Property Securities Act mm-hmm. in and out. But I think it also, I think it does require a lot of reading and a lot of um, self-discipline because you have to sort of spend the time to, you know, sort of look into a little bit of everything so mm-hmm. that, you know, when something crops up, it's in the back of your mind. You're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, related to so-and-so area. Um, and I think that sort of thing really um, is appreciated by clients um, because particularly in an in-house environment, because you have the opportunity to raise legal risks or, um, you know, sort of point things out at the early stages of a matter, um, which can, you know, save business people, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of heartache if those issues are raised, you know, you know, sort of the last minute of a transaction yeah. or a matter when, you yeah. know, sort of external lawyers are brought in um, or, you know, it's sort of raised with a, I don't know, you know, a higher up person mm-hmm. at the bank, an executive or something. Um, so they sort of really appreciate, you know, if you can pick things up at the beginning and save them a lot of trouble. Mm. Yeah, great. And I kind of want to touch on a few things there. And I might have to check out Lexology myself. I'm also subscribed to kind of a more uh, modern, I guess, uh, platform. It's called Morning Brew. I think it does the same thing, but it's very American based. Um, but it sends you okay. at, <laughs> it sends you at the very at American times. <laughs> so I'd be getting emails like 3am. So yeah, I might have to take a look at that. And I guess um, I wanted to kind of take a deeper dive in what you mentioned before it being kind of a generalist uh, in-house what how do you think that differs with private practice and 
what other differences are there that you found personally between your current role internally mm-hmm. now and what types of work you were doing, what expectations yep. you had to adhere to in private practice? All right. So I found, I found my time, you know, sort of when I was in private practice, you're in a, you're in a particular practice area. So I was in the banking and finance practice. So that was, you know, purely lending transactions for clients. So you, you're not really a generalist. You're more, you're working on one subject matter, which is, or in my, my case, it was lending transactions. And then where there was kind of, you know, issues on the periphery of that, those would get moved to the experts' expertise in that matter. So if it was, you know, a lending transaction to do with um, acquiring, you know, a, a, a property, um, the property kind of, any sort of property issues would go to the property team. Um, whereas if that's not a great example in, in house, cause that, you know, it might be a little bit different, but um, you know, if, it, if there's a similar transaction happening, you would have to be in house. You'd need to be kind of across the whole thing um, in, in more detail than you would, you may need to be um, in private practice. So I suppose the kind of, the interactions with your clients in private practice, you know, initially at least are more formal. Um, so, you know, a client will, you know, contact the law firm and say, you know, I need help with X, Y, Z. And, you know, that's generally because they're going to be paying often quite a lot of money for what for that service. It's sort of quite thought through exactly what it is they require. Um, in-house, I found that um, the initial interaction with clients um, is generally less formal and it's often not clear even to the client what they need from from legal so there's a bit of a song and dance often to kind of figure out precisely um, the sort of what 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 the client needs um, help with from a legal point of view and you know what it is that I can do to sort of you know help solve their problem um, which is interesting and I think in some in some ways it's it can be more beneficial um, because you know you're sort of teasing out what's the legal issue and you can be sort of more confident that um, the advice you're giving is really tied precisely to the problem that they're facing um, whereas in you know the sort of more formal the client sends you an email this is what they want you do that you send it back you never know you know because it's not your business really exactly um you know what's what's going on but you know in-house you can kind of spend a bit more time and and energy sort of working through that and you can also see you also see the end results often in a bit more detail than you would in in a law firm where you may just send off your advice and never hear anything again yeah great and i think i've Uh, heard that before how other in-house or people who who predominantly started their in-house career for the sole purpose of wanting to be more client focused. Um, and I guess it might be a uniform thing <laughs> as well. And I guess on the back of that, I wanted to ask, uh, what do you personally like most about being in-house counsel? Mm. Um, I guess there's a few things that I like personally. I think firstly, I enjoy, I like seeing the end results of my work, um, which, you know, you didn't always see in, in a firm Um you know, like if you're working on a lending transaction, you know, the transaction would settle and then you wouldn't, you may not ever hear about it again. 
Um, but whereas in-house, for example, if I've worked on a, um, say, a marketing campaign, um, often, you know, you give your advice and then a few months later, once the campaign's finished, um, the, the people in the marketing team will often come back to you and show you, like, oh, you know, this is what happened, this is what we found, this is what we learned. Um, so it's quite interesting to see how your advice, you know, which moulds the message of a marketing campaign, for example, what that, you know, what the results of that are, you know, within within the, the sort of the world at large. Um, so I really like, I really enjoy that, um, that aspect. And I think it, you know, it makes you feel a lot more invested in your work as well. Um, that's what I found personally, when you can sort of see the whole life cycle of, of something. Um, I also really enjoy um, that it's a little bit more informal, um, you know, so it can be stressful because, you know, you get a lot of can you justs, people calling it, oh, high, high grade, can you just da, da, da. Um, and then, you know, the can you just isn't a quick five minute answer, you know, it unravels into, you know, a multi week, you know, sort of advice and follow up advice and et cetera. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, a bit of a, a tricky part of being of the informal nature, but, you know, it's nice to be able to just um, sort of have a, have a chat you know, yeah. with your clients and, you okay. know, sort of internally and, you know, have a bit of a, you know, sort of a gossip as well about what's going on around the place. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's sort of less kind of barriers as well between yourself and the client. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's the can you just is a sort of a tricky thing, but also, you know, they will invite more often to look at the work that's coming up in their area. And, you know, if you show, if you show interest in, in their sort of, part of the bank you know they'll you know really enjoy you know sort of spending time with you and it just opens up a lot more experience sort of non-legal experience as well and you get to see all different things that you may not see um in a law firm yeah yeah awesome and do you find Uh, it do you find it easier um to just service one client the bank internally as opposed to having different matters on foot with different people, with different business operations uh, in private practice? Um, not really, to be honest. I mean, um, it's much of a muchness. I mean, because you're still, you're still being pulled in multiple directions, um, you know, and everyone, you know, everyone's matters are, in, you know, generally important and need to be done quickly. Um, so I, I personally haven't, you know, I haven't found much of a difference in terms of, you know, working for one client or, you know, one client being a big a big yeah. bank versus, you know, lots of other client, you know, sort of unrelated clients um, because you're still kind of asked to do, you know, a lot of things at the same time. Um, and, you know, being a lawyer, I think you're inherently, you know, someone who's a bit of a pleaser and, you you know, you don't want to let people down. You want to sort of deliver for people. Um, so you sort of stretch yourself anyway to get things done for, you know, whoever you're doing, whoever you're, um, you're advising, you're assisting because you want to, you know, help them to complete their transaction or, you know, finish their marketing campaign or solve the legal question that they've asked within the time frame they've asked um, because you, you know, you get satisfaction in, in doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well done. And, and, and I guess I wanted to ask you more about being in-house. You mentioned before that you have to be quite a generalist in different areas, a variety yep. of different work. And on top of that, uh, you've kind of had to do this. What you mentioned is a song and dance with the internal folk within the bank, um, kind of breaking down their issues. In terms of that type of work in-house, what do you, what would you say or what piece of advice would you say to students in terms of what skills to develop or common skills that are imperative if they're looking for a career in-house? That's a good question. Um, I think, um, you know, to be sort of successful um, in-house, I think, you know, any students listening, the sort of skills that I would sort of focus on are, I think it's important to um, have good time management skills. Um, you know, you have a lot of competing deadlines um, and they're coming from all places. So um, it's important that you sort of are able to teach yourself how to approach tasks in a sort of a measured and logical manner and kind of be able to feedback how you're going with your work as well um, to, you know, your instructors or, you know, the sort of senior lawyers that you're working with um, so that, you know, people know where you're up to and, um, you know, can help you do your work in an orderly manner as well. So I think coming into a, into a private practice environment, that's important. Um, I think it's important also to be um, to be kind of curious and sort of approach your work as if you're still, you know, a student and you're still learning, um, which is what I, I always like to do now as well. Um, and the reason for that is things often in-house aren't as clear. Um, you know, you don't have a, a practice group with a partner who's been working in that area, particular area for his whole career and can tell you everything from his memory. Um you know, you have to go out and you'll have to learn things yourself independently and, you know, not be afraid to ask different people different questions so you can put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, and thirdly, um, I think that it is important that you, um, you know, it's not always possible, but if you can get, you know, if you find, if you are able to get an in-house role in a company that you're generally interested in, that always helps. Um, you know, I'm interested in, you know, the banking and the financial and, you know, the banking and finance. So, it, you know, that makes the work, the actual subject matter of the work that I'm doing really interesting. Um, if I was working in, say, I don't know, a washing machine company, you know, I have no interest in washing machines. So I would probably find the actual, you know, subject matter boring and I would be less invested in the work. Um, I think that's more important in-house because, you know, you, yeah, as we've talked about before, you basically have the same client. So you're dealing with the same subject matter all the time. Um, so, you know, um, if you're in, in a law firm, yeah, you might have a washing machine manufacturer, you know, that's like me and you're not interested in that for a, a one matter. But, you know, then the next day you're advising, uh, I don't know, a, a property developer. And then the day after that, um, someone in the gaming industry so, you know, that's less of a concern. So I think that if you are looking to go for an in-house role, you try and be selective um, and really focus on things or, you know, industries or government departments or, or wherever that you're truly and generally interested in um, because you're going to spend the next, you know, X number of years or however long you stay talking about that topic. 
Um, and if it's washing machines, you'll probably go mad. <laughs> great, great. And I think uh, the students who are aspiring to be washing machine lawyers just uh, tuned out <laughs> two minutes ago. So, <laughs> But yeah, great, great advice. And thank you so much for that, Greg. And um, I guess I wanted to kind of ask a, a few final questions and we should have probably asked this question a bit earlier, but since uh, you're quite experienced and well-seasoned in the banking and finance space, what could you kind of give us a, a, our listeners a summation of what type of work to expect um, personally before coming into any sort of banking work experience? It was always quite buzzwordy. And I know some universities mm. don't offer that type of unit. It's kind of more very back-end regulatory stuff as opposed to practical work. So if there's a kind of a summary that you could provide a quick summary of the type of work that you, that you worked on a private practice and something similar yeah. at the bank quite generally, just so yeah. the students know kind of what to expect and those who are kind of scoping yeah. different I mean, areas to practice. Yeah. That's tricky. It is difficult because, um, you know, the, the sort of scope of the law that you know a bank deals with is, is, is very, very broad. Um, and there's almost, you know, depending on what you're interested in, there can almost be a role in a bank, you know, in one of the big four banks that sort of will fit your interest. So if you're interested in IP law, you know, the banks work in that, you know, there's specialists or, you know, practices that work in there or IT, you know, there's big practices that work in there or, you know, just there's disputes areas um, or, you know, the sort of, the, as you mentioned, the sort of regulatory. So, you know, sort of retail sort of, Banking um, is 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 um, is quite regulated, you know. Kind of, um, or if you're sort of thinking more like, you know, sort of the the banking that big companies would do, like institutional clients, um, that would be more kind of very complicated loans mm -hmm. um, or products that you know help with their cash flow and and things like that. Um, so. <sighs> Yeah, it's tricky to give a sort of a very short answer um, because, or a specific answer, because the stuff that a bank does is really broad. Um, and, you know, the sort of legal advice they need is therefore very broad as well. Um, but, you know, if you sort of were thinking about, I guess, what you'd call like a traditional banking and finance lawyer, you know, who assists with lending transactions for big companies, um, you know, you'd want to be very skilled at corporations law. Um, you know, if you're at uni now, that would, you know, the companies, the, you know, whatever you call it, the company's law unit um, is one that you'd want to focus on and do well at. Um, anything that's really highly technical as well, um, the trusts, equity and trusts um, is, a, is a good one to um, sort of master. Less, less maybe not directly you're sort of as important but still you know kind of shows that you're kind of have a mastery or a skill at technical sort of you know detailed subject matter um a tax subject um if you do well in a tax subject um you know sort of a banking and finance uh role might be something that kind of fits with the way that your mind operates mm -hmm. mm. yeah great and i guess it from a student before I had any sort of experience with the bank as well. It was very bells and whistly, buzzwordy, bank and finance. This is what they do until you actually mm. get into the thick of it. It's a lot of different areas and non-legal areas that come together 
that actually facilitate that operation. And um, I guess for anyone looking into this, this sector, there's a lot of things that go into it, which is quite interesting and very dynamic. And I think mm. um, just hearing how, what, how you found it is, is a true testament to that. Uh, I just wanted to close off today's episode, uh, I guess, just asking you for any final tips for any student wanting to succeed either in the banking finance space or in-house space or anyone mm-hmm. else who may have been in your previous position, scoping out legal roles now, mm. what, what would your final tips be um, for anyone who's wanting to break into the industry? Um, I think my first tip would be um, always keep an eye out for roles um, because sort of, you know, in-house stuff, it doesn't follow the kind of schedule of, you know, when the clerkships are advertised and when the grad roles, you know, things can be different. Um, so just because it's, I don't know, May or whatever in the year, you should still be looking for roles. Um, try and get a mentor um, who's working in that area who can kind of, you know, talk to you kind of more informally about things, you know, in, in, um, in-house in and their experiences. Um, don't be afraid that it might take you a couple of steps to get to an in-house role. Um, lots of places um will will sort of only consider lawyers who have a bit of private practice experience first um so you know it, it the reality is you know a lot of the time you will have to spend a bit of time in a law firm initially um to get that sort of base of skills um before you can look at an in-house role so um i mean don't be afraid to to try that um you know no no harm can come of you know trying different things and experimenting um and you know i've found that work on the um you know things you know what you perceive like a role is going to be like or you know a particular you know sort of practice area and when you actually get in there and do it you know they're often quite different um as you've probably seen angelo um so you know i mean take opportunities to try different things um even if it's not you know what you think you like um because you know you can you might surprise yourself um, and, you know, discover that the, you know, sort of practicalities of an area are more enjoyable than what you um, initially expected that they would be. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for that great advice. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure all our listeners have taken a thing or two from uh, your testimony and your story and how you are now. So thank you so much for joining us, Greg. Oh, no, my pleasure. Um, hopefully that was helpful. Um, and feel free to add my um, LinkedIn address into the show notes. And, you know, if any of the listeners, you know, want to um, make contact and have a chat, I'm, I'm always available. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Angelo. Thank you for joining us. We hope you learned a thing or two. Don't forget to check out our socials included in the show notes and we'll see you for the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you.